Welcome to Going Deep. This is an RSP cast with my co-host of FF of Angelo FF, Brandon Angelo, and myself, Matt Walden, with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And this is episode one, or we could call it episode two if we were if we <laughs> look at the last one we did as right. the, the unintentional episode sure. one. Sure. But man, I'm so pleased that we're gonna get to do this together. We're gonna do this every other week. Um, most months um, out of the year and you know if you haven't listened to the first one that Brandon and I did you really should check it out which was basically you know you know if you you should I basically says it, I basically tells you like you should listen to this before you um, watch the NFL draft or forever hold your peace because you sure. did such a great job of of you know talking about times and 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 measurements pre-draft with your work as you know a specialist in you know working with athletes and of course you know find him at angelo ff and find the service that he he provides you know evaluating rookie talent and the and his insights we're gonna get we're gonna have a lot of fun bouncing this ball back and forth yeah man it's gonna be this is gonna be a ton of fun i've been looking forward to this for a while and you guys have been People have been talking about this for a long time in terms of us collaborating on something, and I'm glad we can finally do it in this capacity where we can bring something really unique and informative and, and just different to the space. So uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and what we're going to kick off with is, <laughs> I think, a timely issue. We I think we feel like this is a timely issue um, that's probably really in in Brandon's wheelhouse in a lot of ways because of your work with athletes on a regular basis. And that's just with training camp, uh, you know, around the corner, we've had many camp and OTAs ongoing is let's talk about the physical and mental and emotional adjustment that it takes to become an NFL player. Yeah. Because, you know, you think about guys like what Tyler Johnson is a good example, the Minnesota mm -hmm. receiver. Yep. I remember his first camp. Um, he comes in and Bruce Arians is like, "Look, you know, he's a talented player, but he's got to figure out what it's going to take to be an NFL athlete and player. Right. He's behind the curve, right. and and you know that's not an uncommon occurrence." Yeah, no, and it's it happens a lot, I think. And it kind of flies under the radar because we don't think of these guys as being underprepared <laughs> for this sort of thing because you go through the NFL combine and the physical attributes look really good. But then you get a guy like Brandon Ayuk comes to mind, right? When when he was in his first training camp and, you know, he was dropping balls left and right. He you know, Shanahan said he was he wasn't mentally all there at the time and a lot of it stems from you going into college and you know a guy like Ayuk went to J junior college and Juco um then balled out and you know it's a first round pick right you get you get floated millions of dollars signing bonus and then what ends up happening is you go to training camp you expect to perform against other 0.1 percentile athletes in the world the difference between those guys, the difference between a, a fourth string tight end and the Travis Kelsey, let's say, isn't necessarily the physical attributes. It's, it's really the preparatory part of it. And also from a mental perspective, being able to attack the details of what every day brings an NFL player, 
right? It's not just the on the field work, it's meetings, it's in between that. How are you feeling yourself? You know, do you have someone to help you out with, you know, massage therapy? You know, do you have a, a sports psychologist you talk to? Like that's the stuff too, when you look at the, like the longevity of being an NFL athlete, that's what gets guys there is is that piece of but a lot of times you go into the you know the league thinking your physical attributes will dominate a game and it doesn't take you very far because you get the training camp and these guys are just as good as you are who are lining up at, at db or if you're a db at receiver etc um and yeah it's an interesting to kind of see a lot of the guys fall out of the league because of it right and tyler johnson you alluded to i think was for me he was a really talented profile as a talented slot receiver in the nfl but a lot of these guys falter because they don't figure out that it's it's a literal job. It's not just my physical action, my my quickness, my height, my speed, you know, my power. That's gonna get me through and, and get me from contract to contract. It's the little things that these guys need to do on a day-to-day basis, the recovery, the preparatory stuff, being engaged in meetings and learning the nuance of their position and also the position across from them. That's super important, but that doesn't happen in year one. No. So it, it's, it's, it takes a lot of time and some guys never figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna share something that I wrote about seven years ago because Greg Linton, the NFL agent, shared this once on Twitter and it was a, sure. it was a, a thing that said, football recruiting by the numbers. That there were, at the, at the time, there were a little over a million high school football players a little over 300,000 football senior high school seniors and then there were only 70,000 NCAA football players um, only 20,000 of them were freshmen which meant that 6.5% of the high school pool plays in the NCAA 6.5 around the country or in from other countries probably too NCAA seniors playing football only 15,588 and only 6,500 of them get scouted by the NFL. Um, and only 350 of those 6,500 are invited to the combine and only 256 are drafted. And while 300 players make the NFL team, that means that only 1.6% of NCAA players made the NFL. And um, only 150 of those 300 players reached year four of of their contract right um and so you know he said if you're lucky enough to be one of the 6.5 to become a college player and one of the 1.5 of that percent of that group of that 6.5 percent to make the nfl then you're lucky to get three years out of it and one of the things that i mentioned is that it means you're if you're a top high school player you're in the top 93 you're in the 93.5 percent tile of all high school players um, and only, and then you're in the 98.4 percentile of college players who enter the NFL. Like, so, you know, and that means that if you are, get that second contract, then you are one, you are less than 1% of all college players. You're in the 99.06 percentile yep. of football players. Yeah. And that. And you think, well, and it doesn't look like a big difference between 93.5 percentile and the 98.4 percentile or the 99.06 percentile. But you got to remember when you, if you look at your job and you view it as a job of like errors per million, 
or errors per thousands. And then you start looking at these percentiles and you say, okay, we need to have a certain amount of errors per million bad plays that a player would commit over the course of say a million plays. Okay. So if you're at the 93rd percentile, meaning that you're like a college player, that means you've had 65,000 errors per bad plays out of a million. That's what, that's what it would come out to if you could somehow play a million plays, you know, sure. that's a, but if you're at the 98.4 percentile, that's only 16,000 errors compared to 65,000. And if you're in the NFL, if you make the NFL, that means you only committed 9,400. So yeah, the difference between 65,000 errors and 9,400 wow. errors is uh, vast. And, and that means that that's the whole point is like, it's, you said it's mental, it's maturity, it's understanding yeah. how to prepare, how to work. It's not going, well, I'm just gonna lean on my talent because right. I'm good enough because no, you've got to, now you've got to be organized. Right. You, the word I loved is error because what happens is if you keep stacking errors, yeah. you get habits, you get bad ones and bad habits aren't startable players in the NFL. No guys who have bad habits aren't starters. And that's what is really hard to kind of attribute when you're in college. Cause a lot of college players rely a lot on their talent. Um, especially like, you know, some of your guys who are bigger school guys who are able to do that with, you know, high service level talent, right? Those guys get to the NFL and realize very quickly, it is an error based league. Yes. If you make mistakes, you don't play. Not because you make mistakes, but the person who's calling plays or in charge of personnel, their job is on the line. They don't want to lose their job, right? Yep. The offensive coordinator putting the most talented receiver out there always doesn't work. He has to put the ones to be mistake free. Yep. He's he's gotta run he's gotta run a timing based pattern and the quarterback has to know where he's gonna be, when he's gonna be there. And that's the most important thing. And you see guys have really long careers in the NFL just because of that. Adam Thielen right undrafted has made his career being quarterback friendly yeah he's a good enough athlete to be an nfl athlete but he's made his career being quarterback friendly tyler lockett another one right yep. there's countless guys throughout the league that are going to be long tenured nfl players because they don't make mistakes they don't make the errors that some of these younger guys do consistently and it's never really about talent Right, the most talented player in the league isn't always the best player in the league, right? And the best player on the team, and and that's the really interesting part when we're talking about some of these guys who are sophomores in the NFL right now, who are potentially going to make that leap. And Traylon Burks is the one that comes to mind most significantly because a guy like Burks, you know, left ACL tear coming out of high school, dealt with a myriad of injuries in college, just little things. But then we saw the conditioning stuff pop up right the asthma the respiratory issues during rookie mini camp and on the training camp last year in tennessee and what you saw happened was an athlete who has a ton of ability lose some confidence in that ability when that happens it gets a lot harder to do physical tasks because you don't think you're on par with the person next to you who's doing very similar physical tasks right and then what ends up happening, you get that snowball effect and you get the soft tissue injuries. You know, Burks had turf toe 
um, some minor joint instability in the in the big toe as well. So that was a tough thing. But then you kind of saw this offseason in particular. He flashed during his rookie year. But then you see, you know, he's these people are saying in Tennessee media he's leaned out, right? He looks like he's flying around the field. It's because what happens is you 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 come into the NFL thinking I have to be fast, fast, fast. You have to play just as fast as you have to process information. It gets much easier to do that the more experience you have, right? Very rarely rookies can have this immediate impact in the NFL from a psychological um, standpoint. Like guys like Justin Jefferson, that doesn't happen very often, right? They figure that out, the, the timing aspect of the game quickly. Um, but guys like Burks, I think he's one that can have a really big year because it seems like he's figured out that part of it, right? Where to be, when to be there. And also figured out that the preparatory part of being an NFL player is the most important, most important part of being an NFL player. It's not the physical part. If you want to play 10 years in the league, you're going to deteriorate physically at some point, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a hard game. It's can you stay one step ahead mentally from the guy across from you for the snaps you're on the field, right? That's what matters the most. Some guys figure that out. Some guys don't. And then what is your... What does your time look like in the 20 hours a day that you're that you're not playing football, right? Are you making good decisions, right? Are you are, are you going to sleep on time? Like just little things like that add up, right? Are you taking recovery seriously? Do you have a nutritionist? Like if you want to stay in the league, that's the stuff that matters. We get wrapped up in the NFL combine and guys jumping far and you know, running fast and that stuff's great, but it if you want to be a second contract guy, you have to really look at the details of what it takes to to be a professional and, and make sure that's your that's the fourth that's the that's the foremost thing that you're doing every single day for sure. Yeah, that's it's the narrow margin of error, and part of that is like you described off the field because the two stories that I think of that come to mind uh, from players who who give testimony to that, Devontae Adams interviewed last year by the Raiders. And I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Eric Allen who who interviewed him, the former Eagles Raiders cornerback. And he said, listen, physically, I knew I could play in the NFL from my first week in, in camp. I knew, like, athletically I could compete. That was not an issue. It took me three years to understand coverage and adjustments and strategy to face defenders who were veterans on how to beat them and what they were showing me and how to handle that it took me three years you know so you think of that and and then you think of all the preparation you said if you don't sleep well if you're out partying and you don't feel your absolute best i mean you're a finely tuned race car against other finely tuned race cars so every little thing is gonna matter and if you aren't and if you aren't preparing in that way, then one little bump can completely mess up your performance. And we talk about this, like when I talk about errors, I, I, I went further to talk about how this would look if you said, let's limit all these errors to not a million plays, but 640, like 640 plays, all right? In the college, that means if you're a good college player, you can get away with about 42 errors in a season, at least on paper i don't know this isn't <clears throat> this is theoretical you know i mean we know that their sure. errors have different level of weight and all of that 
but we see we see top players screw up all the time even in the nfl it's just the degree of the error and and things like that nfl prospects typically in the college game they 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 make about 10 errors per season like big errors probably that are what you call a fatal error a, a vet nfl vet three years in the league for getting on their fourth six six that's it so you look at someone like say tony gonzalez who was the other story in this sure and when he's on the nfl 100 you know top 100 players of all time and they said you know what what is it that you did that helped you become the player you are and he said after my second year i led the league in drops and i was depressed and I was freaking out, like, what am I going to do? And no one thinks of Tony Gonzalez as a guy who drops passes anymore. You don't, sure. you know, you think he's one of the greatest tight ends of all time in terms of move tight ends. And he said, I read Pat Riley's book. I then started taking notes and realizing that I needed to fix my technique with my hands. Like the, just the, the fundamentals of doing this. And I wrote out a practice regimen for myself, among other things that I did. But I showed the coaches at Kansas City, this is what I need you to help me do before every practice while I warm up and after every practice while I cool down. And I want, I'm doing this every day that, that I'm in the facility and before and after games. And he said, that turned my, that turned, that was a big part of turning my game yeah. around. So when you're thinking about, you know, guys who come in the league who are like, I'll figure it out. You know, it's just like, you know, people tell them all the time, you know, they come in like I was watching this is a good example. My wife and I occasionally watch some reality show every once in a while. It's just kind of like our way of saying, let's just watch something kind of mindless and see what this is about. And, you know, typically we come away and go. I would never do that. Like, don't you could pay us five million dollars? <laughs> we might be able to retire early, but we might be living separately if we did this. Because <laughs> why test something that's good? Right, you know? yeah. And they do test you. So, like, we were—I was telling this to a friend of mine yesterday, and he said, "Listen, I know someone who, early back in the day, was like a, in like the final round of people who were trying to get onto an MTV reality show." And he said, from day one, they told them up front. This is what it's going to happen to you when you get on TV. This is generally what happens when people start, um, when you you do something on TV. How the reaction's going to be with your family, with the public. You're not your your public life's going to change. Your private life's going to change. Your online life's going to change, and these are the things that can happen to you. So think long and hard whether you really want to do this, and. So, because he was saying to me, he goes, I have no sympathy for these people if they've been told this right off the bat and then they go in and then they're complaining about it when they have these reaction shows afterwards. And I said, I get that, but on the same, and by the way, the guy who did this, he's, he was a finalist and he thought about it more. And he said, no, I don't want to do this. I sure. forget it. But 100%. like, yeah, but like I was thinking, yeah, but you know, I work in a profession where I'm evaluating players and when they get into the NFL as a rookie, they're told this in symposiums by players that they may have even like idolized and and players are like look this is the reality but again think about telling your kid for the first time what wet is or what hot is or what sharp is 
they don't have any understanding so telling someone what what professional fame is about before you've experienced it it's too abstract and i think that's what happens with a lot of these guys is that it's too abstract for them to get either they've either they've had enough time to get it and they do and they see enough to be scared of it or other folks right. go nah man the money's gonna be great the women are gonna be great the ability to buy <laughs> yeah. these things well, are gonna yeah. be great, it's, you know? it's a it's a different you know it's a different you're basically a different world you go from being a college student yeah um to you know having millions of dollars and the thing is there's a lot of layers to that yeah right from a psychological standpoint from a familial standpoint from an, a presence online standpoint it's just totally different and you go overnight and you change like that and you know you're expected to be the same person and in reality that's not how it works yeah. like ideally yes you remain the same human being and you, you remain intact to who you are but you know imagine if you didn't grow up with money yeah. imagine what happens when your uncle your aunt your third cousins you know asking you to pay off their debt right are you, are you gonna be a bad family member like that's a that's a conundrum that yeah. you weren't you weren't tasked with a year prior to being in and the then NFL. what if your contract changes eight years into it to where you're having to start taking the vet minimum and now Bingo. you can't afford the mom nope. the house your mom wanted and you're a 49ers lineman who has won Super Bowl rings or been to NFC championships. And the parents are like, well, you promised that you would pay for this house. Right. And, and he's like, I tried to get them to move, but they won't do it. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I had you're, like, you're, you're in trouble. I mean, yeah. it, it, there's so many great stories about, um, like I know Shaq told one about how you know, he went to the bank and deposited, I think it was first million dollar check in the NBA. And he's like, all right, I bought like two Corvettes and bought something else and, you know, bought a house and bought a pool table and bought all these cool jewelry, big jewelry pieces and all these accessories. And then he talked to, you know, he, he talked to his money manager and he's like, we're 200 grand in the hole. He's like, what are you talking about? I only spent $800,000. He's like, taxes are taxes and that's the thing like these guys don't get taught yeah, like that's yeah, the thing is yeah. like you know like Shaq most, obviously most being people okay, don't but, get taught about no, taxes no and that's the crazy that's the, this is not a tax podcast but this is yeah. this is the crazy thing about getting into like legitimate generational wealth yeah is when that happens you don't know what to do with it because it's not what it seems if you get you know, a million dollars in Washington, D.C. is different than getting a million dollars in California. And it, it, that's the crazy thing is like if you get your first, you know, signing bonus and it's three million dollars, yeah. that looks different city to city. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that's super tough is you, you think, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to buy all this stuff overnight. I'm going to go buy my mama a home. I'm going to go, you know, pay off my girlfriend's medical school. No, you, yeah. that, that, that's what it gets. That's the crazy part $3 about it. Is you make all these, Georgia, three billion dollars yeah, California. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the that's the crazy part about, it. and that's really too. Like when we talk about what makes it hard for guys to be really good, like second contract, third contract players, even it's like the psychological stress 
of what this is doing. And that's what we don't, we never take that into account. We just think it's a physical game. These guys get worn down. But I think a lot of it has to do with the psychological stress of having to take care. And you're immediately moved up the hierarchy of your family. Yes. If you think about this, right? And that's the crazy part about this. Most of these guys who come from middle-class or lower families to start just vault immediately up to the most important person in your whole family. And that's super stressful as a 21, 22-year-old kid. Yeah, you're not 44. No. you had 20 years to, like, watch this like yeah. start to evolve you had no time to, to let this thing ascend you're just you're just there now at the top of the mountain and i think that's a really interesting discussion to have when, I, when we talk about you know nfl players and athletes in general is how hard that is to happen so quickly but also try to focus on playing the game at the highest level yeah right that's super difficult and that's why i think it takes it takes certain positions way longer to adapt to the nfl than others right i think that's a tough thing like receivers tough running backs tough quarterback is extremely hard because that's the you know that that's the media position right okay. that's that's the position everybody wants to know so you have to be really on your game from like a psychological standpoint and also understand the stresses around you and how to mitigate those in order to play your best game on the field and that's the beauty of professional sports is we don't talk enough about the, the the stressors that don't have to aren't the physical ones right yeah. but that's the crazy stuff man it's it's a the layers to it are, are just endless it seems yeah there's three things that come to mind about this because one is that you know i i've often talked about the 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 author elizabeth gilbert who i've never read any of her books but i think she's famous for that eat pray love is the yeah, name of yeah. the book and she did a ted talk once that i listened to and it was really insightful because she talked about fame and she said fame is if I were to describe fame, fame, I would tell you it would be taking the essence of who you are and have fame takes that and casts it as far away from your body as you could possibly imagine. And your job, basically, in some part of your mind, you realize that you've got to find it. You've got to go and find it or you're forever going to be lost. And then when you do find it, oftentimes when you reclaim it, people are going to reject you in mass because they don't like who you were in the first place or who you really are and you have to learn to accept that and understand that that fame is going to go up and down but who you are is going to be the stable thing in your life the, right. se the second thing and i think about that with a lot of these players because they have those moments where they go oh i'm famous i can do this and i can do that and then they realize no what and then they i have um you know, Sigmund Bloom and I've often joked that this is what's called the career near death experience. That sometimes players have this because they they come to grips with their career mortality much earlier than they expected and realize, oh, this is a job, and I either yeah. have, I have to love this grind or figure out how to do this grind, even if I don't love it. Which is why NFL teams are so obsessed with trying to find people who love the game because they know there's people who don't. But they, but for people this young, they're looking for folks who have that hyper competitive. I love the work. I love getting right. up at six a.m. and doing right. this. But even then, there's a guy. Chad Kelly's a great example. Who you know, yeah. we all know I'm contractually obligated to mention him on the <laughs> podcast. But uh, <laughs> and you're going to learn this. But uh, but you know, the joke is, I mean, you look him in the CFL 
and he's playing well to begin with. He played great at the end of the season. The his Indianapolis quarterback coach said told the Montreal Oets, according to Russ Landy, who's you know, um, I, the RSP does a podcast with with Scout Talk, that they told they told um, the the Alouettes that Chad Kelly has the talent to be the next Doug Flutie, Warren Moon, you know. Gar- Jeff Garcia in terms of like coming up there winning a, a number of champ great cups and then getting a shot in the NFL later on in his career again and he went there because he realized he turned down NFL offers to like be a reserve on teams because I think he felt like a I'm going to get stuck and labeled as a reserve because of what I did in Denver um, and B because of what I did in Denver, I finally realized after what I did at Ole Miss and what I did before that at Clemson that I have a problem and I have to figure out how to keep myself stable and not self-destruct because talent-wise, he had he was faster than Deshaun Watson. He was a dual-threat quarterback who could throw the ball a mile, who literally Hugh Freeze and... Dabo Sweeney were like, oh yeah, as a player, this guy should be a first-round NFL pick. 100%. Without a doubt. And the way he leads people on the field, the way he sees the field, what he can do running, amazing. And But the problem is, is that you see what he would do. And like, you know, he comes into, he comes, before he even gets to Clemson, he's like, telling the the second string quarterbacks kid last name stout i'm trying to remember the first kid's name but like yeah you know get ready for me to beat you out like in a really cocky way on social media gets in arguments with coaches coaches they're like yeah we couldn't deal with that and then like the fight outside the nightclub rushing on the field of his you know to protect his brother may have been an iffy thing and then what happens in denver so you look at this and you go there's a pattern of and I was told, you know, he, when he got to Denver, he was so beaten up. He still had like a, it wasn't the ACL injury that he had that they were worried about. He had hernia surgery and hadn't reshaped his body from the surgery and played through his, his final season at Ole Miss and was still not the same athlete he was, even though I'm watching him like split a Georgia cornerback and safety for a 50 yard game. You're going and your body's beaten up like that? Wow. So he comes into Denver, and he's literally on the field by himself before and after practices running through the entire playbook. And he's literally pushing the team every day because I, I, Cecil Lammy's a beat writer there, and I know him well. And Cecil's like, yeah, he, he was literally every day to asking the coaches until the coaches just said, listen, you're not going to be on the active roster until we tell you, you need to just rest. You need some rest. You need to get your body right. Like learn the system, just keep practicing. He's like, nah, but I want to compete. I want to play, you know, all of the things you really want, like first one in last one out, all of that. But when he got his opportunity, he self-destructed off the field. So, you know, there's something there maturity wise that he had to learn. That he yeah. had to learn, like that, the psychological aspect wasn't there, and I think that we don't know if he's completely figured it out. But it sounds like for him to take, say, I need to take a step back and build my way up, is that's a sign of maturity, especially in the face of 
of this type in the face of like, I could stay in the NFL, but where I really want to go, I need people to notice that I might be, that I can be something more. And if it means that I have to dominate in another league, I'll take that chance right. rather than staying here. Yeah, no, I think a lot of it's about, you know, reinventing yourself if you have to, right? And some guys never figure that out, that they, that they need to do that. And whatever capacity it may be that's holding them back, um, but like guys like Johnny Manziel, yeah. right? Like th there's reasons they don't make it that are not physical whatsoever, yeah. right? Johnny Manziel was an unbelievable talent at the position. Yes. But we know why he didn't figure it out. And yeah. he's publicly admitted why he's never figured it out. And yeah. that happens time and time again. So, yeah, it, it's Marinovich, crazy. Marinovich, go way yeah. back in the day. You know, a guy who can do what he did on heroin and play even in the <laughs> league, you know. Yeah, and, hey, yeah. You know, and throw, you know, all the things that he did. That was before my time, but my goodness. Yeah, yeah but, like, the, he was the original of those guys in terms of examples. But, like, to, back to Traylon Burks, your point. Here's a guy who figured it out because one of the stories that's come out this um, this spring was, well, he he didn't want to be late for camp, and apparently he realized that he wasn't going to be able to book a flight on time commercially. Yes, I read that. Yeah, so that he cool. chartered a jet. That tells you he did not. He already got a taste of Mike Vrabel and what the NFL was going to be like under Mike Vrabel, who's a no nonsense mm -hmm. Patriots guy where they would cut you or trade you. If you were late, even in a snowstorm, the a Jonas Patriots gray story. story. Yeah. Yes. Jonas gray, Randy Moss and Adelius Thomas story. Mm -hmm. You know, those are two that happened to them. Randy Moss, Randy Moss. Like, you know, I mean, to me, like that's, that should tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. And, and he took it upon himself in year two to go, yeah, I'm not making that mistake. Yeah, you no, it's know, a big deal. That's a sign. Yeah, it's a, it's a big – I mean, that, that means a lot. That means more than, you know, I mean, whatever you could say physically that he that he did to kind of, you know, make himself better. It's the being on time. Like, that's the stuff that really – because that, that's going to that's gonna show up on game day, right? You, you show your teammates that you're willing to be the guy, especially in, in the Titans receiver room that is him and – Kyle Phillips, yep. Nick Ikeni Westbrook. Yep. You know, you don't have a lot there. You know, the only thing, if, if DeAndre Hopkins goes there, I think that's even a, that's a good thing for a kid like Traylon Burks, who has a lot of growth to go, learning from a guy who's who's in, a veteran and one of the best receivers of this generation. Um, and Robert Woods, I think, was really good for Traylon as well. But I think we're seeing this across the – you mentioned Alec Pierce kind of kind of growing up and into being, hey, you know what, this is, could be a – could be a guy in the Colts that could be the guy um, at the position. And, and that's what it really takes, right? Is taking, you know, doing the little things and doing what it, doing the extra that it takes to be great. Cause all these guys, I, I liken it to, you know, Hey, I'm a surgeon. Okay. We have a lot of surgeons, but who is the best surgeon Yeah, in your specialty, right? Who is the best heart surgeon? Who is the best, you know, cardio, whatever it is, yeah. you know, who is the best at that specialty, right? You just being a surgeon is cool. It's great. You, right? you made it right. You, yeah. you, 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 you beat everybody, but are you willing to beat the 1% of the 1%? And that's what happens with the guys. You know, we see it all the time. That's the difference between the guys that stay in the league for a long time, make it a true career 
in guys that flame out after three years because the money's great. You, you make you know, make a few million dollars in three years, <laughs> might spend it all, yeah. right? You, you have to, and that's the thing is, you might be out of a job by twenty six years old. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. What are you going to do for the rest of your life, right? And that's the I don't think gets a lot not not a lot of thought gets brought to. But I mean, that's something too. Like, doesn't matter where you're drafted or what round. Like, that's a possibility. And guys figuring that out is the difference between making it and not. And for you, besides Traylon Burks and Alec Pierce, who are some of those year two guys that you think have figured it out or need to figure it out in order to kind of take that next step? I think Khalil Shakir, the Buffalo Bills wide receiver, okay. is a guy that's in a position where if he has figured it out, his career could take a major uptick with Stefan Diggs um, having some rancorous issues with Josh Allen or the or the coaching staff. Maybe all that's much ado about nothing and they'll be fine come September. But even with Josh Allen giving a little passive-aggressive, you know, talk in the media when he said Trent Sherfield doesn't complain, you know, like other players, and, and, you know, after a practice saying that, that, that sounds like a bit of a pointed comment at Diggs. Now, when you look at this team, Gabriel Davis is a nice play action option who can win deep when he gets behind his own. He's a nice player off schemed plays where he sneaks behind but one-on-one -on -one contested catches, yeah, that's not him. Um, so he's never was going to be a number one. Um, Dalton Kincaid might wind up being the de facto number one a la mm -hmm. Travis Kelsey type of player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, you, you look at a guy kind of in that same, you know, like Zach Ertz vein. Yes. Where he's just a total safety player. Like yeah. this is, you know, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be on time. You know, he's going to be, he's going to be available when you need him in the red zone. And that's the, that's the thing. There's, there's a couple, there's two low red zone players in this class. That I think you're going to make their quarterbacks very happy. And one is Dalton Kincaid. Yeah. I think he's going to be Josh Allen's best friend in the red zone. Um, and Tank Dell. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in, sure. in Houston. I can see that. I, I think that's, I mean, that's the thing is like, if you can, if your quarterback can trust you in the most important area of the field and everything else is easy. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing is I think he can become that with Stefan Diggs, which is the super, if Stefan Diggs is yeah. in Buffalo, which we don't know what's going to happen. I assume he will be, I assume it works out, but I mean, that's a big deal for, you know, I think Kincaid in that offense being that middle of the field safety blanket that Josh Allen kind of needed since Cole Beasley. Yeah, right. And, you didn't have that last year with Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah, and I think though, but that's the thing. I think Kincaid is the type of player that also can give them that contested catch on mm -hmm. the outside. Yep. And he has run after the catch ability that is that's a little underrated, I think. Yeah, he so, can work all three levels, yeah. and I think that when I evaluated him on you know an Andrew analysis and, and broke down what he does well, that was the one thing I pointed to was. He's one of those guys after the catch you don't realize, but he's picking up five, six, seven yards. Yeah, always making either the first man miss or yeah. breaking an arm tackle to his legs. And when you look at that, <laughs> you could see where this team's a little bit in a flux because I think they're looking at him and going, I think we've got a stud here in terms of like a top-notch top, top -notch elite player. 
and then we've got we've got digs where we got some problems. Can a guy like Shakir, who earned Josh Allen's trust in a lot of big plays, contested catches in tight zone windows, some late game plays getting open where he needed to and showing right. that the acumen was there. And he's the only guy on that roster who can play probably flanker mm-hmm. or slot. And, play multiple positions. And, that, and that's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Davis is relegated to, you know, he's playing yeah. X and he's off play action. And that's really it. Yeah. You know, Diggs is your Z, your movement Z. And then, yeah. you know, you're going to have Kincaid a lot in the slot too. So I think the only other guy, you're absolutely right, is between Shakir and Sherfield. Yeah. So if Shakir, if Shir, Shakir shows one that the mental part of the game is down and he's really locked in with Allen and that he, and as a result of that, he's not making the, um, you know, the kind of thoughtless mistakes of focus drops because he's executing a beat slow mentally that often happens. You're, you're looking at a guy who might, he may not give you Stefan Diggs numbers. I'm not expecting that at all, but in year two, maybe you're looking at an 800, 900,000 yard yeah, receiver. That that jump is definitely possible because why not in that offense, right? I mean, yeah. you, they they haven't added a they've had they haven't added a significant running back, right? Yeah. I mean, you have Damian Harris, you you have James Cook, you you don't have a guy who's going to run the ball 20, 25 times. Yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to th- you're going to th- you're gonna, they're going to throw they're going to throw the rock, and it's going to be you know there's going to be three guys that offense are going to be relevant relevant, yeah. and I think it's going to be Diggs, Kincaid. I think is going to be that second guy, and that third guy could very well be Shakir. Yeah, if it's not Cook, you know, yeah, you know, absolutely, you know, and absolutely, and, and Cook's raring to go. But like, how much are they going to use Cook? Is a that's the question. There. And two, are they going to, you know, are they going to pick his older brother? Like, that's yeah. another question too. Yeah. That, that that could very well happen. So I think with all these, there's a lot of veterans. That haven't been signed yet. That I think are going to be waiting for more of a you know a yeah. contender um, mid-season. You have Zeke, you have Fournette, yep. um, Hunt, Cream uh, Hunt. Yep, Cream Hunt. You have Dalvin Cook now. Yeah, um, you have some really intriguing guys that still have a little bit of tread left on the tires um, that can bring you know competition to a to a already you know stable backfield potentially. I'll give you another one that's that's interesting to me, and he's in. He's in your part of the country, um, and and a fan and part of the team that I've been a fan of, and that's David Bell, who yeah, you know, because sure. you look at David Bell and it's like, okay, we know he's not speedy, but his game at its best has some stylistic um, comparisons to guys like a Larry Fitzgerald or DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins in terms of the maybe the not a, a burner but can be physical, can win at the catch point, finds openings, blocks well, you can move them around a little bit and take advantage. And, you know, listen, I mean, we look, Cedric Tillman is an intriguing young player. They drafted him early, and I think there's value there. Um, But you also look at the rest of this team, and they, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I mean, certainly, to me, I mean, if I were to give a, in a fantasy parlance, just give a name of a player or two and just say, I know that's not fair to just slap a label like this and there's more context to it. But if someone said to me, what's Donovan Peoples-Jones' career going to be like? I said, I would bet on guys like Dante Moncrief, Chris sure. Chris Conley, um, Demarcus Robinson. 
he would be in that list of names more than he would be in a list of names of guys who become perennial top starters. So Bell yeah. has a shot. I think so too. I th- for me, when I, you know, when I evaluated Bell, I'm like, this is an Allen Robinson type player because of how he wins, right? This is not a guy who wins, you know, with a ton of quickness, a ton of, a ton of downfield speed, but he wins with tact and nuance that ages well, right? And I think NFL offensive corners are going to start to figure out that, oh, okay, this guy's going to be reliable down the down. And I think the Browns needed that guy other than Amari Cooper. Yeah. So, and I think they're going to you know, rely on that more now too with, you know, they're going to, I think it's going to be more of a one-back system with without, you know, without Cream Hunt there presumably. Um, and I think, you know, Stefanski's going to want to utilize Deshaun Watson's strengths more off play action. And that's a super big one too. When you're talking about, you need a you need a guy who can win in the middle of the field if you're going to win off play action, yeah. right? And I think right now I can't all be Mari Cooper, so I think they're going to need to find that guy. And I think David Bell fits the profile. Maybe more so than Joku, who is kind of an up and down. Player. He's a he's a weird player because yeah. he's he's kind of like in that I think that Jonu Smith. Yes, type. I think Thank that's you. the role that I think is. That that would be much better suited for him than pigeonholing him into you know traditional tight end. Yeah. Um, because I think he he does need more you know traditional running back type touches, yeah. right? Because he is so good with the ball in his hands, and giving the ball on line of scrimmage and 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 being you know being that guy, right? I like I like Chickaconco a ton in Tennessee because yes. they're doing that with yes. him. And that's the type of player Njoku is. I think Hooper is a better fit for that offense than Njoku is. Um, because of what they, you know, because of what Deshaun Watson likes to do, yeah. um, especially in the red zone. Um, yeah, but, but now yeah, he's. But they would. But it would be. It's going to be between Harrison Bryant. I know because yeah. Hooper's gone, so it's going to yeah. be really between Bryant and I like Bryant too. But I think it's going to be interesting to see if they utilize Joku at the line of scrimmage more often, or Bell. in the slot, yeah. or they're going to use Bell. Yeah, I think Bell offers you the more reliable presence there, especially in the red zone. Yeah. Um, but I think from your point, that's a guy too, especially if we're talking in the fantasy realm, you can get David Bell for super cheap. Yeah. And he's a guy that can stick around the league for a while, which is which is super important. You get a bench dash for a couple of years and he ends up being a potential pro bowler because he can catch ninety balls, right? Can I give you two more and then I want to hear who else you're thinking too? Sure. Okay. Sure. So they're both Chiefs. Okay. Uh, you know, Sky Moore. Yeah, you know, I love it. You know, Matt Harmon did a great job of discussing this. I saw this on a on an Instagram, you know, segment of what his podcast was saying that listen, you know, the Chiefs, you know, kind of broke his game down a little bit and said, "Hey, we're going to have you learn all three spots. We want you to do and you kind of had to learn that on the fly." So this year's that how much has he been able to build on that? And now and I've been, you know, I've talked a lot about Kadarius Tony because, and I'm, he's not the guy I'm going to yeah. be talking about here, but I've talked a lot about him in recent weeks saying that, listen, he's probably going to be that number one receiver, if you ask me, even though the, the, our primary receiver in Kansas City is K- Travis Kelsey, which means that he can be more of a Juju Smith-Schuster plus type of player and not quite a Tyreek Hill. He does he can be between mm-hmm. Hardman, Schuster and Hill sure. and give you a top 15 season even if he's not Tyreek Hill level play. Right. And not running primary receiver routes cuz all the things they can do with him. But on that note, 
What's interesting is that when you look at the Chiefs' offense the past five years, most of the fantasy pie goes to the tight end, the number one receiver, and the and the and quarterback that, and running back. Yeah. So everyone hoping for Nicole Hardman or or you know hoping for Sky Moore, and if Kadarius Tony stays healthy, you're it's kind of a lost hope if Tony is the number one stays healthy. But there's it's not just Sky Moore. What about Justin Ross? You know, I mean, yeah, it's a good one. It's a really you, good one. Because when you watch Ross, you know, when I watch Ross, to me, I mean, I know there are people like, oh, he's like, he could have been like AJ Green or Julio Jones, and it's like, no, he's not that player to me. But like, could he have been what people thought Corey Davis might become, sure. or what Hakeem yeah. Nix was in his peak? Absolutely. And he ran a West Coast. He'd be a great fit in a spread offense with West Coast, like, underpinnings. As that guy you can put on the island on one side. Yeah, you just put him at X and he, he, he's a ball winner. And yeah. that's that's what they – that's what they don't have. They never they haven't had that, right? That's they right. Have, they have Travis Kelsey and then a, a lot of guys to play different roles. And I like how you brought up Sky more because people forget – he was he was a DB when he got to Western Michigan, yeah. and he had a COVID year and another year of ball, and now he's in the NFL. And he's a guy too that's just so dynamic as an accelerator. You put him in the slot, let him win, and I think he's giving him a two way goes and be a nightmare for defense with Patrick Mahomes. And I think he he can be a really good slot receiver in the NFL, um, giving him time to develop in the Andy Reid system, which is a complex system for receivers to play. Yeah. We've kind of figured that out. Um, God, I like Justin Ross a ton too. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just, I and mean, if, he was with the, with the, with the injury and everything. I mean, we don't, we never knew if he was, he was a first, second round talent who didn't yeah. get drafted. And so, and apparently uh, Reed said to this spring, Patrick Mahomes trusts him. And it's like, okay, you're telling me in May or June that Patrick Mahomes trusts this his this receiver already. You know, that's kind of cool. I don't know. We'll see, you know, if it's just yeah. talk. But when your head coach says that, I think that's that's pretty telling cuz why would he say that knowing what his offense is right. about? So, right. yeah, that's a and when we look at the injury, I mean, when the when the specialist of all specialists says, "Yeah, he has just as much he has no greater of a chance of getting a catastrophic injury than any right. other player who's never even had what he had. And then you look at the foot injury that he had. Yeah, just people a, just written yeah. him off. He's good. Right, yeah, 100%. 100%. And it, all it takes for, you know, because it, it's a wide open competition there. Yeah. Right? I think Tony has a leg up on his starting job, obviously. He played really well in stretches last year at the end of the year. But besides Tony and Travis Kelsey, there's no tertiary target. No. I mean, so, Richie uh, James is fascinating for me. Sure, yeah. I love Richie James yeah, as a player, sure. but, like, right. they don't see him. No, no, no. I, 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 no, I agree. 100% agree. I think, for me, the one that sticks out as kind of the second-year guy is Kyle Phillips. Oh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, love I, I love Kyle Phillips. And I think big reason is Brian Tindall doesn't have a safety blanket, right? I, I Traylon Burks can definitely become – a guy that can, you know, he can be a thousand yard plus guy, but Kyle Phillips can be a Hunter Renfro light ish player where he's going to win the middle of the field, be a chain move around third downs and be what that offense needs. 
because they don't have that. And he played really well in the preseason last year. Obviously, got hurt and was you know missed a large stretch of the season, but totally written off. Like, yeah. and if they don't, if they don't get DeAndre Hopkins, he is the de facto number two target in that offense. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Chicago. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing is, I think you know, we talk about a player that's going to make us a, a year two leap. I think it's, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be him. Uh, I think my my next guy, and it's not even a leap. He already was. I thought he was really freaking good. John Dodson. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I I think he's. I think that kid's an absolute baller. And I think here goes this. I think he has a higher ceiling than Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Um. I Great. think he's a. I think he's more of a three level winner. I think Terry Terry's one of the best jump ball receivers in the NFL. One of the best deep threats in the league. I think. But a guy like Jahan Dotson can be everything you want to be in the red zone. You know, can win the short areas of the field. You can give him the balls on on screens and jet touches, and he can be the focal point of an offense that I don't think Terry is. I think Terry is a good, he can be a high end secondary option in the NFL, in my opinion. But I think Jahan Dobson has a, Dobson's a chance to be the guy there before long. Will Sam Howell pan out? Another second year guy. Don't know. I think that was a, that's a big question, you know, coming into year, his year two is, is he going to be the long-term answer? Because he has a very short lease. He has, he has 17 games to figure it out or they're drafting a quarterback next year. Yeah. And regardless, if that's Rocky or not, I, th- I think Dots has a chance to really ascend into being a primary receiver um, in, in throughout the league, not even just in that offense for sure. Okay, I got three more. I got Love I, okay. give, give me three okay. more. Okay, Isaiah um, – not Isaiah um, – um, what's his name? Ford, the kid. Jerome from, Ford. Jerome Cincinnati. Ford, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerome uh-huh. Ford with Cleveland. Uh-huh. Because yeah. we know that Nick Chubb, everyone wants Nick Chubb to get his and like be what he, all he could be. I think everyone would like to see that if you're a football fan. But sure. I think we also know that he that Jerome Ford may not get all of Kareem Hunt's touches, but they would. The I would think the Browns coaching staff looks at this and says, hey, if Ford looks like he makes that next step and goes beyond playing well on special teams and shows up both in the passing game and the way that he showed some promise at Cincinnati, we could incorporate him in that Kareem Hunt sort of way and Mm -hmm. spell Chubb or maybe even split enough with Chubb that he could give you some fantasy value. And I think that they're really hoping that happens. So... Okay, you know, I, I like that. Yeah, I like. Even when you look at a guy like Ford, his his speed was such a big part of his game at Cincinnati, right? Yeah. And if you're running, if running a little more outside zone, I think you're going to see him really pop. Yeah. Um, I, I I like that a lot. Okay, give okay. me the other two. All right, this one's an odd one, and it, and it's and it's a tough mix. But I was always a Skylar Thompson fan, so much so. Okay, Skylar yeah, I know you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But when I watched his games last year, I felt I watched a lot of dropped passes in key moments. And I know they brought Mike White in. But I think they brought I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna propose this narrative that may be okay. from outer space, but I'm I'm okay with putting my tinfoil hat on this one with this one, which is they got Mike my propose that they got Mike White 
not only because they wanted to have him continue to compete with a second-year quarterback who was basically a seventh-round pick, and they saw what Mike White did in that division, and Mike White can tell them about the Jets' offense a little bit, too, um, if they need a little bit extra eyes to talk about what the, the Jets were doing two times a year that, that can help them. But they're worried about Tua, you know, low-key worried about Tua and those head injuries. and High-key worried about Tua. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. 100%. So, so when you do that, you're like, we like Skyler. And, and certainly after the season, McDaniel said, I thought Skyler Thompson played well enough to be in the competition for the quarterback to roll in, you know, regardless of who we add in free agency. Um, and Thompson has played well early on in OTAs. And I think that, again, first year and played well enough to earn a third spot that they weren't anticipating reserving for a quarterback. And then they had to use them. And while it wasn't great in the box score, um, you, you know, you saw up and down moments with him, but not moments that I looked at and go, he can't handle playing in the NFL. Sure. I think there's some growth there. So I could see a scenario where they keep three quarterbacks again because they're so worried about Tua and it'd be Thompson who winds up the number two and White as the number three. I think from a talent perspective, it makes a ton of sense. And I think you're right in that the Dolphins are very worried about Tua and his longevity. You you don't go from mauling retirement <laughs> right. to being the franchise guy for the next five to eight years. No. Like, that's just not going to – I don't think it's going to work out for any team with Tua. I, I think it's, it's – I don't want to be this – you know, this bad marriage there, but I don't think it's going to last. I mean, but who the, who's the quarterback going to be? I have no idea, but I, I like Skylar Thompson as someone they might give a shot to because he knows the system. Right. right. And he's, he's, he's developed in it from year one um, with McDaniel. And I think that's a big deal when you're talking about the loyalty. I think that's a big aspect of what McDaniel, when you listen to him speak, that's a big deal in terms of what he preaches and Tua being the guy and, I think the loyalty part of it's the reason, one of the reasons why Tua came back yeah. is he knows he has as long a leash as he needs. He's, um, yeah. Yeah. He's the guy you're going to watch on the waiver wire. You're just going to know is you're going to know who he is. You're going to know that maybe you shouldn't just write him off because of what the box score looked like. And if the, and if suddenly, you know, Tua gets hurt, he's that guy that you go, you know what, if I can pick him up first come first serve, or if I know that I have an extra room and I need some quarterback help sure. and, you know, I know I'm probably going to try and trade for someone down the line or hope that somebody better is available when I actually need mm -hmm. the quarterback. But right now I just want to hedge on somebody because I yeah. have that extra roster spot in a deeper league. That's the guy you pick up and you just say, if Tua gets hurt, this guy might end up being in the mix for you and, and go from there. Um, the other guy that I was looking at as a second-year player, let me just make sure that there was nobody else that I was super looking at other than this this player because I thought I had thought of somebody else and then promptly forgot them in the excitement of discussing some other players. Um, but okay, so going back here, the Let's see, where are you? Oh, man. Who is it? Um, no, that's not the team. 
that's not the team all right okay Keontae Ingram with yeah there you go you know that's a, that's a great one that's a great one he was he was good at Texas too yeah and yeah. people under because he was you know he was behind his um Bajan's freshman year yeah he was behind him and he had the fumbling issues then he went to USC and was really good there um for his senior year but yeah James Connor is I, I think here goes this that offense is going to look a lot different because I think they know Kyler Murray isn't the long-term answer. No. And they don't have a real primary option that receiver in that offense. James Conner's a placeholder. You might as well see what you have with Keontae Ingram and giving him some more run than he got last year. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, and, you know, it's just one of those deals where last year, what, he was – undrafted or a seventh round pick i don't remember which it was six seventh round, six, pick. Seven yeah, round yeah, pick. Yeah. third or fourth on the depth chart competing with jonathan ward who's a, a, a good special teamer um and and good receiver out of the backfield but now on the titans um and maybe a little bit higher up on the titans after hassan um haskins, haskins that, you know, that whole ordeal, you, yep. yeah ordeal off field but um you know benjamin was the talk of camp last year we didn't. They didn't expect it. He ended up their number two. He he got significant touches when Connor was banged up, and by year's end, you know Benjamin wasn't on the on the Cardinals, and now he's fighting for a job for the New Orleans New Orleans Saints. And who's the number two? Keontae Ingram. Keontae Ingram, who they just said, yeah, he intrigued us with what he did in camp and a little bit in the preseason games, but we haven't seen enough of him yet. And they saw enough of them to make them their number two and not add anyone yet in free agency or that's draft bit, anyone. That's, that's the big one. That, like, if you look at, like, you know, kind of how things are aligning, especially with that backfield, that's a big one because they're looking towards the future, yeah. right? I mean, that's not a great rushing attack right now whatsoever. But when you look at what, Ke- what Keontae Ingram brings to the table, he profiles as a three-down back. He catches the ball well out of the backfield. That's one of his better traits. He is, he runs with good power. He's quicker than you think. He's you know he comes in the league six feet, two hundred twenty one pounds. There's a lot of Kareem Hunt to his yeah, style. and the, yes, exactly. And he's he's a lot of things that an NFL offensive coordinator would want to do because what you can do is you can leave him on the field. Yeah, and and that's an important piece, especially what the Cardinals have done traditionally in the past is they've done that they've left whoever like James Conner for example, they just left him on the field for three downs because um, he's 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 solid in all all three areas. And you can just leave him there and leave him be. But I think Keontae Ingram gets a shot to be the starter in 2024. Yeah, I, I think there's no reason not. I think it, I think this team is is closer to rebuilding than people might want to think. And I think running back is the last thing you want to think about when you're talking about pieces to get for an offense. I think Ingram could be a potential future piece for a pretty cheap price of dynasty for sure, without a doubt. So. Let's end it with this. Um, you mentioned Kyler Murray, and okay, I, and and so I and I and what you mentioned was interesting because it resonated with me too. And I had someone and Bob Harris asked me this on a Monday podcast that that we do, of like Kyler Murray is is he for long in Arizona? And my thought, like you, was I don't. It's hard to see that with all that's happened that this these two 
coexist, that these two parties coexist. And and when I look at Kyler Murray's game, you know, obviously he's capable of high-end NFL production. 100%. Yeah. But is he the type of player that is it simply he's not he didn't gel well with Arizona or is it a little bit of you look at the pattern and and am I looking at this is this a pattern worth putting together or is it just one that we go maybe it's just a bunch of narratives that we shouldn't discuss but you go did he really just want to play baseball and he wound up playing football did and as a result of that did he necessarily the, you know, people talk about the body language and the grimacing and the faces and the and the work clause and the contract and you know yeah. all those things. And you go, is all of that? All of that may not be true, but it's a lot of smoke around one theme, which is does did he really want to be a football player? It's it's. I was ta- I was talking to somebody else about this, and someone asked me about Kyler Murray and it. For me, it's what we talked about at the beginning of the show was the maturity, the preparatory part of it. Is that guy going to put in the work necessary to be the best at his craft? And there has not been ever an answer to yes that Kyler Murray will or has. Because yeah. he, he hasn't, right? This is He's one of the more physically talented quarterbacks in the NFL despite his height but he hasn't put it together, and I don't think he ever will, especially in Arizona. And I think the issue is your quarterback has to be your emotional leader. In today's day and age, way more so than in the past. I think you know you're, it was more a field general, yeah. right? Now your emotional leader of a locker room is your quarterback, your Jalen Hurts, your Patrick Mahomes. Those are your leaders, right? Those are the guys, those are your, you go to war for those guys. Well, the guys aren't going to war for Kyler Murray. No. And I, I don't think, you know, I think at broad spectrum, guys aren't going out of their way to praise a guy like that. Yeah. To say this guy is doing such a magnificent job learning the offense. This guy's building. No, this is, he's, he's not that guy. To me, he's a Carson Wentz. Yeah, where wh- wherever he went, he was not very liked. For whatever reason, he was he always rubbed somebody the wrong way, or he wasn't their favorite person in the locker room. Right? They didn't love being led by him. Right? And this is a guy that almost won a Super Bowl. Yeah, and technically did, but yeah. almost won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia and you look at what happened between him and Jalen Hurts, what's the difference between those two? It's not talent whatsoever. It's one guy was willing to take every opportunity that came to him and take advantage of it. And Carson Wentz just didn't after the, after the injury in particular, you know, and that's the thing too. That's my worry with Kyler Murray is going to follow that career arc of the Carson Wentz, the might bounce around a few spots, might be given a couple more shots, but might is he going to back up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if is he, he going to stick? Yeah. And that's the thing is you're going to have to, he's going to be quote unquote, the project yeah. because you're going to have to get him to buy into being a leader and being, you know, the emotional mouthpiece of a team 
right now that's just not in his personality which is a dangerous game to play in the NFL when you have such good leaders at the top of this food chain in Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. If you're not that type of leader, it is going to be very hard to beat those teams. They will play for those two guys in particular. And I think Joe Burrow is another one of those. Um, Those three, good luck beating those three if you're not on par with that type of leadership and just emotional intelligence from that perspective. When I see Kyler Murray on film, and I may be stretching this way too far, but I but I, I like throwing this by you to see. Ever since watching him in in college, the thing that bugged me on the field, even though the talent's obviously there, I mean, you know, that ability to run and create on the move and buy time is the ability to buy time is fantastic. Right. The ability to efficiently buy time is awful. Like it's because when you watch, you know, you look at Tom Brady. If you took Tom Brady, if you took Kyler Murray and put him in the Buccaneers offense last year with that offensive line banged up, Kyler Murray would not win the number of games Tom Brady. He becomes did. Malik Willis. Yes. Rookie Malik Willis is who he comes. Yeah. Because 100%. he runs from spot to spot. And when you run from spot to spot and you're not an efficient mover where the ball is in position for you to let it go and you can take two or three or four steps and let it out and you still have your eyes on your receiver or your body in position to let it go, now your receivers are just working to that next window mm-hmm. and the ball comes out and even though you and buying that extra second helped your receiver get get the catch but when you do what he does he may buy eight seconds but his receivers have now had to reroute at least once if not twice in order to mm-hmm. catch a ball and when you only generate one good play every two games where that's a highlight worthy play but the rest of the time you're doing that it doesn't work out and now you're making faces at your receivers Yep, and, and you look at Hard Knocks. Yes. If you watched Hard Knocks, no, that was I the one thing. I oh, go watch, go watch Hard Knocks. And for me, I love watching the mannerisms of the players to see like if you can pick up on, especially Kyler Murray because he's kind of on the microscope and on Hard Knocks for a good reason. Watch his interactions with him and DeAndre Hopkins. There's a okay. reason he's not. There's the reason Hop isn't coming back. Yeah, and wow. that was a big one. Was you know just like the blame. The accountability aspect, I should say, wasn't there. No matter if you watch, you watch NFL, you know, network does does their like little things on like Peyton Manning and some of the. You watch if Peyton Manning made a mistake, he would go up to Reggie Wayne and say, "Reggie, it's my fault, man. Yeah. That's my bad. I, you know, I was late on the ball. Whatever. Okay, even if it wasn't yeah. his mistake, and he knows it wasn't, he'd sometimes be like, "You know what? That's my fault." Yeah. Because he knows the confidence of his guys is that that's the most important thing, and they're not dumb. They know, hey, might have been my mistake, but if you know what, if he's gonna tell me that he wants to be accountable for that, that's a noble thing to do from the leader of our locker room. Kyler Murray just would not do that. He'd throw the hands up and be like, "What are you doing, DeAndre?" DeAndre Hopkins is—he's a veteran of veterans at his position. Yeah, he should be asking. What yeah. were you doing that I need to know? Exactly. Not and that, what were you doing? Exactly. And that's what really threw me 
with Kyler Murray was there never seemed to be just watching that piece of it, right? There never seemed to be any accountability surrounding the mistakes. And also, he didn't have the two attributes that are most important for quarterbacks, in my opinion, in today's era, consistency and efficiency. Yep. Wasn't consistent, wasn't on time, and he was never efficient with his movements. Yeah. Ever. Everything and- was erratic. Nothing was pre-planned. It was all had to be off script for it to work really well. But when it didn't work well, it wasn't ever his fault. And that was that was my big takeaway. I could be very wrong about this, but that was my big takeaway about Kyler Murray was the lack of accountability within their system just did not work. Well, you saw it on Hard Knocks and film. I saw it on film, not even watching Hard Knocks because you're looking at that. And even if you didn't see that or read into it, you just look at it from a pure football standpoint and you go, not only are his receivers going to be frustrated, but if you're if you're basically running past your protection screen scheme, and you're basically you have good blocks that you're ruining, which yeah. is what Baker Mayfield did a lot too. But like, and they both played in the same system, which is kind of interesting. But they for a time, um, Murray did the same thing. So if right. you're frustrating your blockers and not and basically. They're doing, they're working their ass off to give you position, and you're going. I'm just going to go ahead and just destroy it by, and then get mad at the receivers for not doing their job, even though it was really you that undercut them. You know, yeah, you've lost that team. You've completely 100 percent because there's no structure, yeah. right? It, it there's no there. You know, there's always the the old adage that without structure, there's no function. And there was neat. There was no structure. There's no function. So I mean, for him, it was, you know, you're trying to work within a system, and it's already not a great offense, right? right? Yeah. You have aging veterans everywhere. You have Zach Ertz who's on his last leg. James Connors lost a step. DeAndre Hopkins isn't his old self. But you have good pieces. You have Marquise Brown. You know, you have Greg Dortch, who's an okay slot receiver in the NFL. So you have good, you have a good system of weapons to work around. If you're, if you can make it work as a quarterback, there's been way worse that have done way more. He just couldn't do it, and I, I, I think it's going to get that much harder now. The offensive line hasn't got significantly better, if not worse. Weapons at receiver have gotten worse. He's another year. He's older and he's removed from the ACL. James Conner isn't the same as he was. It, it, new system. Well, Rondale Moore stay healthy. Yeah, and they get exactly. Get the most out of him. Exactly. Yeah. And he's a guy right now you have the scheme touches for. You well, know, Colt McCoy just, actually play well enough that they go, huh? If you if you honestly watch, yeah. like. If you watch the tape of when they was Colt McCoy versus versus Kyler Murray, there is no contest who the better <laughs> player was. Yeah, it was Colt McCoy, not even close. Yeah, just from like a schematic standpoint, just being able to be like you watch him and DeAndre Hopkins reactions and, and interactions, I should say, and everything about timing, and that's like DeAndre Hopkins as a player makes his money off of being precise, right? He's a precision-based wide receiver who can win above the rim. That's what makes him so good, right? But 
he couldn't do that with Kyler Murray. Yeah. Because timing doesn't exist for Kyler Murray to be great. Everything has to be off script um, so, and without the use of a system. So maybe the best thing that we can take out of this is that Colt McCoy is going to start the season. And the, he absolutely and, will. And the best thing that it may be the best thing that could happen to rookie Michael Wilson and second year player Trey McBride. We haven't talked about Michael Wilson, but he's pretty damn good. I think. Yes, I agree. I, I think was, so too. I if he could stay healthy, the, yes. if he could stay healthy, I mean, he struggled, struggled with yes. myriad of injuries in college at Stanford. But if that kid can stay healthy, he's going to be, in my opinion, the potential number one target in that offense come year one. I think Marquise Brown will play a role, but I don't think Marquise Brown can do what that kid can do in the middle of the field. I and agree. That's the, that's the difference, I, I think, think. I think, listen, I, after watching him, I did a show with Felix Sharp in November and said, I've only watched three games thus far, and he's the best route runner I've seen in this yeah. class right now. And then when I started putting it all together, physically, he's – the best way I describe him just in a short way is – He's everything Michael Thomas is down to the foot injuries, except that he has some focus issues catching the ball, but he's sure. working at it. And and you and you could see a Michael Thomas esque yeah. type of possession receiver for, for sure, hundred yeah. percent. And um, with the with Colt McCoy starting off that way, he's going to get gonna a fit. better foundation mm -hmm. than what he'd end up yeah. with with Murray. And if you think about it like this they're going to be working from behind a lot. Yes. So what that's going to mean is you're going to get a guy like Michael Wilson developing a lot quicker because maybe he's going to be on the field a ton in three receiver set. So um, that's a that's a rookie tidbit. But, man, I think Michael Wilson, with all that's going on in Arizona, they're want to see what they have in the future there. I think he gets some big, big run. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's – He's going to be a really intriguing piece, especially if Colt McCoy starts the year. I think there's a chance that Colt, Colt McCoy starts, you know, ten out of ten out of seventeen. Yes, yes, totally agree with that. And we and and if they're not winning, Clayton Tune might get half of those seven. Stars. Well, right. If 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 you're not if they're not winning, why would you put? Yeah. Here goes this. If they're not winning, is it going to be an audition for Kyler Murray for another team? Or are they going to protect their protect what they think is their future in Kyler Murray? That's that I think is an intriguing question, because you know if they don't want Kyler Murray to be the future, somebody else might take a stab at the talent. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Well, listen, I think uh, I think we earned the name of this podcast by yeah, we definitely did. You know, I I loved it. I so loved it, and I hope that you guys did too. Um, you know, obviously you can subscribe to the RSP cast. You're going to hear going deep with Brandon and I, um, you know, on a, every two weeks, pretty much during the month. Um, and of course you can find if you're still on Twitter and I'm still on Twitter and I'm like, doesn't mean I'm not looking at other things as well with what we got going on, but you can find, you know, Brandon at, at Angelo underscore fantasy on yep. Twitter. Anywhere else you want people to find you in case, or are you still oh, man. Like, yeah. in, in in cases? It's the right verbiage <laughs> for for what's going on today. My character might might go down like the five or something. Um, but no, you can find me on angelanalysis.com. Um, that's where all my latest work is. Um, right now, I'm really just putting out 
um, articles for my subscribers on, on you know second year, so sophomores in the NFL. Traylon Burks just went out. Uh, Burks and Brees Hall just went out. Um, so I'm doing those every every week. Probably get a couple done a week, and then just kind of float on into the into the training camp and into the preseason and just keep on trucking, man. I'm I'm excited to be here. Um, this is gonna be a lot of fun with Matt and I. Yeah, it's it's already been a blast. So thanks again, folks. Let us know what you thought of it. Um, and on any of these outlets that wherever we are out in the Wild West here, and yep. uh, enjoy your week. 